This podcast is brought to you by Exergo Technologies, providing some of the most affordable and portable sports science technology on the market. Made by coaches for coaches. Stop guessing, start assessing. Produced from the Cube Studios, this is Strong by Science. In-depth conversations about science-based training, sports performance, and all things health and wellness. Here's your host, Max Schmarzo. All right, what's up, guys? This is Max Schmarzo here. Um, we have a very special episode today. It is one of the episodes of Max Thoughts. So your host, Max, is now your guest, Max. So we're going to take this from the top and kind of let it roll from here. Um, one of the things I want to talk about, it's the idea of complex systems. So when we're talking about complex systems, it's a term that's tossed around quite a bit, but not many people actually understand what it means. And it's really important in regards to anybody who's in the sports science, health and wellness, fitness world. So kind of the really, really short version of what a complex system is, is basically saying, especially in regards to your body, that there's a lot of things going on at once. It's really hard to predict. And we don't know what the hell's happening all the time. And so what I mean by that is there's an aspect of complex systems, which is called nonlinearity. So a linear system would be when one plus one equals two. And a nonlinear system, one plus one does not equal two. And what I mean by that is that one plus one in a linear system, well, one and one are the only two things acting in the situation. In a complex system, one and one interact with a whole bunch of other things. So you can kind of look at it in the sense of if you were to ask someone if you've ever seen a um you know a waitress spill um you know a glass or something at the restaurant the reason why it happened you might see on the surface oh you know that waitress um, was cut off by someone and she wasn't prepared and so it was either crashed into the customer or it was you know spill the glass and uh, break some dishes. And so if you take a very, very simple approach, you say, oh, a waitress, you know, broke the dishes because the you know, client got in front of them or the customer got in front of them, and that's it. But really, if you look at a holistic picture as to why that happened, there's a lot of reasons why, and it's not necessarily one-to-one. So if you look at it from the customer who cut the waitress off, right, that customer might have been running to the bathroom because they're having an emergency, because they themselves react very poorly to, let's say, um, travel, and they've been traveling, and they have some sort of uh, bowel issues, and so they had to run to the bathroom really fast. And now the reason why they have bowel issues, you could dive all the way into their genetics, you could dive all the way into their nutrition, but many factors go into that outside of just one issue. The waitress herself could have been really nervous because it's the first day on the job, She might not have been aware of the surroundings. She might have not slept as much last night because she got in a fight with her boyfriend. She got in a fight with her boyfriend because she was mad that he keeps leaving all the dishes out. So when we start looking at the full picture, it's not because someone cut her off that she dropped the dish and it cracked and it broke. The full picture is a lot of variables go into this. So when we're looking at the human body, we got to take that same complex approach. 
So it's not saying that if you squat a lot of weight, you'll jump high. It's not saying that um, if you run, you know, for your aerobic abilities, you're going to live longer. Instead of saying and making these um, claims being very linear, one-to-one causality, it's much, it is much more probabilistic in nature. So you have all these factors that go in there. Um, some people call them, you know, uh, the probabilistic profile. But essentially, it's understanding that the body itself is made up of a lot of different systems and subsystems, whether it's the nervous system, the muscular system, the skeletal system, and all those dynamic interactions that occur between all these different accesses that exist. And when all these things work together in the probabilistic nature of this profile um, reaches a certain tipping point, we have what's called an emergent pattern. An emergent pattern is that result. So if we're talking about um, the waitress example, well, if the pattern of all these issues coming up where she's stressed, she's in a fight, the customer himself had bowel issues um, because of his own genetics. Well, if you look at the probabilities that all these things take place, the idea that she's going to spill her drink becomes very high. And that's a common maybe emergent pattern based on those probabilities. And so if we look at this now in terms of athletic development, especially injury, injury is a very easy conceptual example. We can take that model and apply it and have a better understanding of what's going on. And so let's use the like rolling an ankle, for example. If someone's running, um, let's say they're playing basketball and they sprain their ankle. Typically we respond and go, oh, they sprained their ankle because that person had a weak ankle, right? We might make that one-to-one relationship. We also might say, oh, you know, that ankle is weak because that person had been playing a lot of minutes. So again, it's still a relationship for a lot of minutes, weak ankle, injury. What happens is we actually give too much credit to that last straw on the camel's back, right? If we see the ankle sprain, we assume that A, the issue is coming from the ankle, and B, it must be coming from the ankle itself. It must be something directly impacting it. But what if I told you then that athlete didn't sleep a whole bunch that night before? Um, he got hit earlier in the game. And when you get hit, you have the possibility of, um, especially a head injury, it's called neuromechanical coupling. It's how your brain talks to your limbs. So if he gets hit and now he's not, um, the probability that he's not coupled properly increases. We have the aspect maybe he wasn't properly hydrated. The athlete didn't have proper nutrition. The athlete hadn't been trained in the weight room consistently. The athlete had old shoes. There was, um, it was late in the game, so there was an onset of fatigue. Right? All these aspects become profiles in the probabilistic nature of an ankle injury occurring. Because it's not just weak ankles cause an ankle injury. It's all these other factors that are involved. And the unfortunate aspect of it is that when you look at things in terms of complex systems, it makes predicting very difficult. Because we want to say, oh, weak ankle, going to get hurt. Right? That's why no one's ever been able to prevent injuries. We only reduce the likelihood of injuries. And so when we look at the body and we want to take a complex approach to it, 
we need to understand that all these interactions are deeply intertwined. And if we're going off that ankle injury as a uh, example, you can start to look at how nutritional factors play a role. Right? Has that person been in a caloric deficit where they're in a state of stress and maybe some level of catabolism, so they're breaking down their muscles in that area because that person doesn't like to eat food or is not taking care of their body properly? Um, is that person not recovering? So does that person have, for example, like inadequate collagen intake or vitamin C so they're not able to have proper synthesis of soft tissues, predominantly being tendons? And maybe that tendon is weak and that muscle complex isn't fully recovered because they weren't eating the right aminos, right? If we want to have the right amino acids, we need X amount of grams of uh, leucine as well as the essential amino acids. So if they're not eating the right foods, all these things play a role into why maybe that ankle was weak that day. So as you break down a complex system, it unfortunately becomes more complex. And so we now not just look at, oh, ankle weak, um, ankle is going to get hurt. It's ankle may be weak. What are all the factors that go into a weak ankle? And so on the flip side, right, we have this very complex system. We want to make this complex system robust. And so defining robust means if you think of our body and all of our systems together, think of it in terms, instead of lines being connected straight up linear, we want to think of it in terms of nodes. So take a nodular approach and each node has different levels of connectivity within it. And so if we take our, um, like our HPA access as a node, our muscular system as a node, um, the way our muscles communicate with our body as a node, and all these other aspects of the body as nodes, then you can start to understand what it means to be robust. When you're robust, it means that you can apply a large stimulus with minimal response. In a complex system definition, it actually means failure of nodes, or removal of nodes doesn't cause that much of a systemic perturbation. So what I mean by that, if I were to have a weak muscle and muscle strength is one of my nodes, if I'm weak, it doesn't mean I'm going to get hurt because my other nodes that are in there are able to compensate and counteract for my weakness. So being robust isn't just having one node being very strong. It's having one node being able to interact with lots of nodes and all those nodes independently can be strong. And so on the flip side, a sensitive system is when a single node is removed and it causes a large um, perturbation. Some of that being if that person had muscle weakness and that's one of their nodes and you remove it or it's deficient, then that increases their likelihood even more to get hurt. So again, a robust system is someone who's able to handle a stimulus or a stressor with a small response. A um, more sensitive system is one that handles a large stressor with a large response or even a small stressor with a small response. So when we look at the body, if we take that nodular approach and we're looking at nodes and systems, then we start to understand why it's important to have a really multifaceted developmental approach in athletics, health, and wellness. And so this is kind of where, if you look at um, performance or even the healthcare system kind of falls short, a lot of what we do is reactive, right? We go to a doctor's office 
because we have something going on. We go to physical and something going on. I mean, I mean like an illness or some issue where we need to then um, be reactive to it. We go to physical therapy because we're reacting to an issue instead of being proactive, right? If we're proactive, we're actually taking steps to not ever actually get um, any sort of issue, illness, or injury. And so we do that a lot in athletics. We work out, we do specific drills, we do specific movements. But again, movements and drills and weightlifting is only one specific node in the human body. What about mindfulness, the person's psychological approach? And what about their nutrition? What about their sleep habits? What about all these things that go into that bucket of life? And how can we make that bucket of life um, bigger so we become more robust? So if we're thinking about that in terms of just general health and wellness, well, then taking that approach to be proactive and understanding that um, being reactive sometimes is a little too late, then we start to look at health and wellness, not just in terms of, oh, I need to take a painkiller for X, Y, and Z, or I need to take a medication for X, Y, and Z. For example, something, um, blood pressure or a statin to lower your lipids. It's okay. How, what can I do from a nodular standpoint, the nodes in my body? to reduce this likelihood. So now fitness and exercise becomes medicine. Mindfulness and being thoughtful becomes medicine. All these different qualities of life and nodes that affect our body now become medicine. And at the same time, they become synonymous with performance. So having mindfulness, just like it helps your longevity, helps your ability to regulate a stressor and performance itself. So if you are an athlete and you're dealing with all these stressors from social media, um, the pressure of the sport itself, and all these different external demands, then having the ability to be mindful and regulate some of this allows us to make those stressors themselves much less. And so when we're looking at healthcare, looking at performance, looking at wellness, we need to understand it and take the complex systems approach. And understanding that one plus one does not equal two. One plus one might equal three or four or five. And so for those of you who are familiar with physics, right, um, and I don't want to butcher this, I might be slightly wrong in this definition, but the idea holds true, right? You might know about quantum leaps. So quantum leaps is when an electron passes immediately to another ring. If you look at how electrons circulate, and I believe that's correct. Um, I believe it's also related to how the uh, water will go from a water state to a gas state, and there's no in-between state. It takes this immediate leap. And that's kind of, at times, how our body is, too. Right? We have all these probabilistic things in nature come up, and then you get hurt. There's typically not you know, a precursor to an ankle sprain. It's typically all these probabilistic profiles aggregated, and then we get an ankle sprain. So that ankle sprain itself is an immediate phase transition. So again, it's kind of like the idea of if you wanted to go in a car and you're driving and you wanted to go to 60 miles an hour, in order to get to 60 miles an hour, you first have to get to 58 and 59 and then 60. And the body, you don't go from not injured to 0.1 injured to 0.2 injured all the way to full injury. You go from not injured to injured. 
And that is what we call that phase jump. It'd be the equivalent to going from one to 60. And so if we look at it in regards to the complex approach, then we need to take that same mindset that things can happen in phases and transitions and being as proactive as we can can really reduce the likelihood of some of those things going on. What it also means is that we need to have a better understanding and a quantifiable ability to understand how the body works. The theory of it is great, but really there's some issues sometimes because when we look at theory, application can fall short. And a lot of that has to do with the fact in traditional uh, medicine, traditional performance, traditional ways that we function, we don't quantify many things. So when we don't quantify, we don't understand how small changes occur and how those small changes can add up to a bigger issue. So if we're talking about, again, the ankle sprain, there's all these different systems that are involved. And all these systems, again, are nodes. And so if we look at our body as you know a means of systems, then we want to have the ability to look at our body and measure those systems the best we can. So if you think of it from that approach, then you start looking at, you know, how do I quantify movement for medicine and health and performance? How do I quantify my central nervous system? How do I quantify all these nutritional aspects? How do I understand, you know, nutrition is very detailed. And so how do I understand my gut? How do I understand my micronutrients? How do I understand my genes? How do I understand, you know, my brain waves? How do I understand all these different aspects? No, and yes, brain waves is not part of nutrition, but brain waves is obviously part of your brain and that itself is a system. And how do I understand all these different systems to begin to analyze, understand, and take an approach on this complex question with um, analytics? And so we had uh, Bill Schmarzer on here and he talked about one of the most important aspects of big data was the granularity of it. And what he means by that, I don't mean to interpret it for him, is the fact that we might be able to collect all these different aspects of our human body. And maybe not all the nodes and systems in the body need to be reworked or worked on to an extent. But there might be some granular aspects, maybe, and just for the sake of example, say we have 100 nodes in the body, 100 different systems, and two of those 10 systems are really lacking. Well, again, if we look at the big data approach, the granularity now allows us to act on those systems that we otherwise would not be able to. So we can then take the approach of my wellness. My performance isn't just hinging on the weight room, isn't just hinging on um, you know, my muscularity, but it could be held back or slightly improved if we worked on some of these other nodes. And that's the same for health and wellness as well. And so that's where you start to see the merge of big data. You start to see the merge of you know, complex systems and you start to understand why. A lot of these studies are extremely beneficial, but they'll never predict anything um, to the exact point. So when we start to think about a unified theory or um, an approach that encompasses all aspects of wellness, 
and we start to understand that all aspects of wellness well requires a lot of different entities and the fact that our brain talks to our body our body talks to our brain um the way we think about our life affects how we run how much we run affects the way we think um all this stuff is deeply intertwined and having that appreciation allows you to better understand and accept the fact that no we're never going to be perfect but we can do our best by looking under other rocks than just the rock in our domain and so what i mean by that is that if we only focused on nutrition we might miss some aspects of fitness in regards to strength aerobic abilities and muscularity if we only focused on you know what we do in their weight room then we might miss out on aspects of mindfulness and these psychological um you know wellness and they all connect and the more we can appreciate that the more we can understand that if i'm a coach i'm a trainer i'm a nutritionist i'm a psychologist having a network of people who fit each of those nodes allows you to interact with your client with your patient in a much more holistic approach. And so and so we hear this word, oh, holistic, holistic, holistic. Um, more times than not, it's utter bullshit because we just say holistic and we don't do anything that's holistic as opposed to taking a real approach that's holistic in the sense that we don't weigh one area greater than the other, right? Um, we understand that, that they're all connected and that they all have aspects of importance. And so like not to go on a rant, right? If you look at human physiology and how everything is, you know, you've got myokines in the muscle that when you contract your muscle, they go back to the brain and they give it a certain signal. We uh, have certain aspects that, you know, we have neurotransmitters being released and hormones being released that are initiated in the brain that affect our muscles. And so now we see that there's a loop because the hormones that affect our brain and affect, you know, the neurotransmitters are the ones that cause our muscles to contract. But now our muscles are contracting and releasing myokines, which are signals that can then go into the brain and interact with, you know, how that's um, that central nervous circuits working. And so just to kind of provide a, uh, a summary to it all it's it's understanding that what we are doing um if we're in one lane or one domain is never going to be able to answer the question that's why you see people um if you ever read a study like there's a, a great study i can't remember the name off the top of my head there's a study looking at um muscle growth and uh hypertrophy um and i think it had 30 or so subjects and I'm probably butchering this, but the point will get across either way. And it looked at the rate of muscle gain in all these individuals. And if you took the average, the average person, I mean, not the average person, but on average, and I'm making numbers up here. So don't quote me because I don't remember the study off the top of my head. It was something like a 5% gain in muscle mass. But then they broke out each person individually and they showed that um, the highest muscle gain individual actually had like a 15% gain in muscle mass. And this is to that specific area that they're measuring. 
another individual actually lost muscle mass. So it was like minus 3%. So what this brings up is what are those predisposing factors that are limiting the individuals from getting um, unified gains, right? Why aren't ever, why isn't everyone getting a 5% gain? And it's because our body is really, really detailed. There's another study that looked at Taekwondo athletes and it ranked these individuals in, in terms of levels of inflammation. And it was um, looking at, they categorized the two groups. They deemed them high versus low. I believe it was, uh, lymphocytes to T cells. I could be totally wrong. Um, but regardless, they broke them down into two, uh, groups inflamed and not inflamed, and they trained them both exactly the same. And what they found out was the inflamed group actually had less adaptations to performance compared to the non-inflamed group. And what that brings up is the idea of, you know, this holistic capacity that we have to handle a stressor. And so I label this the adaptive capacity of a human being. And this adaptive capacity is directly related to the different nodes and systems in our body that may be stressed to a certain extent that we're not aware of. And so the adaptive capacity, if you imagine it as like a bucket, right? It can only handle so much water, water being the stressor. And if we can find ways to either increase the size of the bucket itself or reduce the water that's going in there. We have the potential to increase the robustness and the adaptability of the system. And what's really cool about humans is that our complex system that is the human body is adaptive. And so we can increase the potency or the um, strength of some of these nodes through specific training. And that's where sports specialization comes in. You're looking at sports-specific exercises and movements and nutrition. It's identifying the nodes that have the biggest factor involved in that sporting performance and then training those nodes so they can strengthen and dynamically interact with one another to get the emergent pattern that is adaptation desired and geared towards that sport. So it's not saying, oh, some of those other nodes aren't important. It's saying that. We need these specific nodes to be very strong. And because all these nodes are interactive, right, we can start to look at how, you know, you need a certain base of nutrition and um, general fitness in order to actually iron out and isolate the other nodes that might at that point become more specific and yield greater gains in performance. So if you look at it from a, like a, an exercise, Standpoint, and again, I'm kind of taking an isolated approach to provide this example. Um, we have, like, for example, let's say someone's just beginning strength training, and they want to become a uh, professional sprinter. Well, in order to strength train, right, you need to have the at least the aerobic capacity to handle the workout itself, and then once you have that capacity, you need to have the muscular capacity to then handle the loads. And then you need to have, once you have that muscular capacity, then you start making it more and more specific. But on top of that, you need to have the nutritional base to at least handle the stressor of the workout to recover adequately from. You need to have a lifestyle habit base of sleeping enough, of being mindful enough. 
But then as you want to amplify this expression geared towards sprinting, maybe the exercises start to target certain musculature more specifically. Maybe the nutrition starts to target certain um, nodes in regards to the nutrition web that are more specific. But those nodes are only as strong as their interconnections. And so if you eat really specific to a certain sport, it really doesn't mean shit unless you have the other stuff there to back it up. And so this is where the idea of building a general base comes into play, right? And strength conditioning, people call this um, like general fitness, GPP, like the general physical preparedness of an individual. And this always precedes some of that specificity. So it's like the idea, again, I played basketball, so I'll use it as an example, that it, you, know, you want to shoot a three-pointer before you can you know, make a layup. Well, you need to be able to make a layup. You need to be able to shoot a free throw. And then you can shoot a three-pointer because your ability even to shoot the three-pointer at all isn't really there. And on top of that, if you look at little kids, you need the musculature and the strength to shoot that three-pointer with adequate form. And so all those precursors are what you call the general base. And so now we're talking about sports. We're talking about now the specifics. And now we're really diving into, we need this exercise. We need um, this movement pattern. And we need this kind of nutrition and these workout and rest and rep schemes to allow for adequate expression and development of these nodes that relate to sport. So that's where sport and um, general health and wellness kind of differ. Because in general health and wellness, you might not ever specify on one specific area. You might not say, oh, you know, for general health and wellness, I'm going to be you know, a great walker and never lift weights. Well, that's right. There isn't, you know, we know that muscle mass and hypertrophy are directly related to all-cause mortality. So naturally, you're not doing the most you can for your health and wellness. So that general base is hugely important. And then the specifics are where you start to get that development for sport and athletics. So again, the complex system, it's nonlinear. So we have one aspect, like one plus one does not equal two. You have all these different things going into it. And all these different nodes and subsystems can be categorized in a probabilistic nature. So again, it's a probability that something might happen. That's why you never see one study predict an ACL, right? It's the probability, the likelihood of something occurring. So then once we have that understanding of the probabilistic nature, we also understand what are called like recursive loops. I didn't touch on this earlier, but it simply means, you know, um, input becomes feedback and feedback becomes input. Just like the myokines talking to the brain and the, you know, the brain talking to the muscle and the muscle talking to the brain and all that occurring simultaneously. All these are recursive loops. And so on top of that, our complex system as the human body is adaptive. And so what we put into it changes what we get and how we how much we put into it really matters and what our geared specificity is. And then we can look at nodes. Nodes being subsystems of the body. They all have these interactions, which explains and theorizes why health and wellness and performance and all these aspects are kind of synonymous to an extent because they all are 
interacting on multiple levels. And then we have, in regards to um, performance in sport, we might have ideas on these specific nodes that are most pertinent to the sport itself, and those areas need to be touched upon. So complex systems are very detailed, and our body is very detailed. And not appreciating that can leave you um, looking for questions. Um, I guess leave you with more questions than answers and can leave you sometimes in your own uh, pigeonhole because if you don't reach outside to different domains, then you're not going to be able to understand or at least get a good idea of what's going on in this picture. So it's not necessarily saying that the human body is this problem that can't be solved. It's more of saying, let's really take a step back and understand what it means to have a holistic approach. Let's really understand why all these sciences are interacted. And that's no bash on researchers because researchers are very specific. They have to really, really know their domain to get the results that they're getting. But at the same time, many of those researchers appreciate all these things that go on. But if we're looking at research and looking at evidence, they're doing their best to control a lot of these outside aspects. And by no means could you ever control all of them. So it's not to say, oh, you can't look at research because that's the exact opposite of the spectrum. That's complete ignorance, right? We want to look at research, but we can interpret research in terms of um, understanding application and driving our own model of understanding forward. And not to go off on a tangent, I think, I love research. I read it all the time. I think there's a mistake between um, how it's labeled. I don't like the aspect that in research papers, it's called a conclusion. Because I think people read the research paper and they assume that based on the study, the question has been concluded and there's nothing more to look into it. I would much rather have it called interpretation. I know they have um, areas of discussion, but when you're reading it, a research paper, don't take the conclusion as the question has been answered, the door has been shut. It's much more of the concluding remarks the researcher might have on that topic and the understanding that concluding remarks does not mean the question itself has been done and it's all finished. But the application is now up to those reading it and interpreting it. So, again, the whole picture, very complex. Doing our best to understand complexity is what we can do to help our athletes, help our wellness, help our health. Um, Utilizing different aspects of research can help us understand and identify specific nodes that we might need to develop. I'll never specify um, these exact nodes and interactions. Science move forward with epigenetics, nutrigenomics, um, metabolomics, and all these different aspects of very detailed, granular understanding of analytics and data. We can then specify certain areas that we can really target and improve. And it's a pretty exciting time because the next 10 to 15 years are really going to see this blow up, even closer to five years. Um, again, so that's uh, my concluding. Thoughts for Max Thoughts. Um, I appreciate you guys sticking with me and listening. And uh, look forward to uh, having you guys tune into our next podcast. Really appreciate it. 
If you guys ever have questions, please feel free to reach out over Instagram. Shoot us a message. And uh, we're really excited about all these podcasts moving forward. So thank you. Thank you.